0: Hi, this is Justin from Broken Love. Uh, You're listening to Jay Scott, The Hook Rocks. Scott, it's the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're all doing well in this month of August, the dog days of summer, as they call it. We're starting to see the Halloween, spirit Halloween decoration and costume stores popping up all over the place. And uh, fall is going to be here before we know it. Football season will be here before we know it. The World Series, hockey. Fall is always the greatest time for sports, in my opinion. Big sports fan here. But you did not tune in to talk sports. You tuned in to talk some rock and roll, and that's what we're going to do. As I always mentioned, we're part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts. There's something for everyone's taste in music. Every type of genre is pretty much represented on the Pantheon Podcast platform, and you can find them on PantheonPodcast.com and also social media, Pantheon Pods. You can check out my friends, as I always mention before every episode, Tom and Zeus uh, from the Shout Out Loudcast, the number one rated KISS podcast in the universe. I got uh, Mac from the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Martin Popoff, the Rock Historian, the legendary DJ, Mistress Carrie, as well as... Chris and Aaron from Decibel Geek, so check out all those and more podcasts on Pantheon Podcast. You can also check out The Hook Rocks on all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as streaming on all podcast platforms, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or Amazon. We're available everywhere, so check us out. We've had some great episodes over the last couple of months. We had some great new music spotlights with Broken Love with... Griffin Tucker from Classless Act. We also had The Warning back on as well. And a great band from Detroit called Frame 42. So check them out. They're a rising band, too. A bunch of young kids who are making some great music. Also, we had Stephen Piercy celebrating our three-year anniversary. And we also celebrate our 400th episode with my friends in the Groove Council, our private chat group that discusses new music all the time. So check out that episode. Check out Christine Eagle. She was just on talking about the back end of the music business. No one knows that better than her. She's so well-researched. She talks about the ever-changing algorithms on Facebook, the cloudy future of TikTok, the future of NAM, the great music conference in Los Angeles, as well as many other things. And we've got some great stuff in store coming up as well on the commentary side of our podcast. But without further ado, I'd like to welcome in Good friend of mine, as I just mentioned, the Shout Out Loud cast. It is the co-host of the podcast, the uh, the Boston Bomber, the uh, great KISS podcast you got to check out. They have great shows. It's not your typical KISS podcast where they talk about the glory days and they, you know, lick the bottoms of, of each uh, KISS member. They are realists. They are refreshing in that they really talk in, in an honest forum. Here's Zeus. On the, show, on the Hook Rocks podcast. What's going on, Zeus? How
1: are you? I'm great. Always a pleasure. We talk so much off the air. It's nice to be back on the air together. It is, man. You know,
0: um, it was great to finally connect with you and Tom and others on the Creatures Fest or in oh. at the Creatures Fest. We had a blast that weekend getting to know each other and no. annoying the
1: piss out of each other. Uh, yes. So- <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hilarious stuff. I'm sorry. Oh it was man.
0: Hilarious. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, do you want to share the elevator story, or do you want to keep that top secret?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> just, um, I think people know. And if they not, if they don't, let me surprise them some other event that we'll be at. Okay. They'll be like, what the hell is that? And they'll wonder if I was at that event. You know, yes. they'll figure. They'll figure it out.
0: Was it real,
1: or was or is Zeus here? Will be the question. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, actually. <laughs> but we, um, we, you know, we get together every once in a while and we also have, uh, you on with our Zeppelin Chronicle show that we do. We go through the Zeppelin catalog and, uh, we're, we're at Zeppelin two as people joke. I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you at the holidays and, uh, we're getting into the, the fall. So you never know, but we're, we're up to Zeppelin two. We just finished Zeppelin two. And we'll get into Zeppelin 3 soon, which I can't wait.
0: Yeah, I can't wait either. I love doing that because it's a refreshing change at the pace of both of our podcasts. Yes. We really dive deep into Zeppelin and examine the albums and examine what was happening during that time of, in my opinion, the greatest rock band of all time. And yeah, you know, we like to be on more of a stringent schedule, but, you know, life happens and we all got stuff going on. So we try to record whenever we can. But whenever we do, it's always a great episode. I like the spirited debate that we had last time. We really got into it. We really you know I, I don't we don't purposely disagree with each other, but we're very passionate. All four of us are very passionate, whether it's Tom, Murph, you or me. Uh, it, it's a, It's a great way to hear someone's perspective and hear why they disagree and hear why they're so passionate about it.
1: And we're still at the point where we haven't figured out each other's like habits or go-to as far as Zeppelin goes. So we have no idea. We don't have like teams like, Oh, I know that these tracks are the ones that, uh, Murph and Tom are going to like and Zeus and Jay are going to be all over those. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea. And that's the fun of it. Hearing everybody else break down these songs and it's Zeppelin. What could be a throwaway for me could be your favorite Zeppelin song of all time. It, it They're that impactful and. it's a it's a fun conversation and because it's zeppelin we can't wing it keep like hey let's do zeppelin today now we may know these music these songs but you can't talk about led zeppelin and just throw it together you gotta we put our research into it and we we work hard on those episodes and i think it shows yeah i mean when you hear that stuff it's
0: years of collecting knowledge of what the band is about the band is so diverse uh, when you think of the band and how what they started in the late '60s to how they ended in 1980, look at the transformation from album to album, from beginning to end. You know, it's a band that keeps evolving. Their music keeps evolving to this day. The songs sound different as you listen to them. As you evolve as a person, as people evolve as people, it's it, it's such a an interesting band, and they keep remaining interesting. Because of the music, because of the arrangements, because of how they put it all together. They're just absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah. The, the leadership changes who takes control over a certain album that changes. And you know, you, you can't, every album is different. I know it sounds cliche, but it really is when you talk about Zeppelin. Yeah. And, uh, what's funny is this discussion we're going to have today. We're going to be going back to Zeppelin for all, uh, a couple times. I just have a feeling.
0: Yes, because we're doing a White Snake Legacy show, which the last legacy show we did was with Sidney Taylor. We did Rat in the month of June, which was a very well received episode. And these episodes do do attract a lot of listeners, and because we really break down the band, it's a it's always fun to discuss music and bands and artists that we we're in love with, we fell in love with when we were younger, we used to listen to. This band's different than the ones we've done before. I mean, we've done a lot of different bands. We've done Metallica, Maiden, Rat, Dokken, so many others. But this band really has a lot of different lives, a lot of different styles of music within one band. And it's a band that's, it's, it's very complicated with, with, How they started with all the band members moving in and out. And we're going to get into it. And we're really going to focus on the early part because Zeus and I are big fans of the early days of Whitesnake. And that doesn't mean it's 1987 and after that, because a lot of people came in that. (laughs) No. There is a, there is a 10, almost a 10 year history or probably, yeah, over 10 year history of the band prior to that album and i talk about the 87 self-titled album which is by far their biggest in their catalog and the album that they're known for but what's really disappointing for Zeus and i cuz we've talked about this offline is the lack of appreciation for those early white snake albums that if you are a zeppelin fan and if you are a deep purple fan if you are a faces fan you will enjoy this stuff. You will revisit these things. Hopefully, you'll revisit after this discussion and realize how good this band was during the early years.
1: Uh, I always like to think of White Snake as a couple of different things. First, they're like Rainbow, they're, there's almost different bands, the same band, but a completely different music in certain eras. And so you can't say, um, You know, it's not ACDC, where the vocals might be a little different when they get their new singer coming in, replacing Bon Scott. But the music's really the same, Brian Johnson and Bon Scott. The three singers in Rainbow, different eras, different types of music. White Snake, you go the first, I don't know, I think it's uh, six. If you count in the EP, maybe you'd say seven. I don't know if you count slide it in in there. That, that was a little bit different or just a completely different style really than slide in white snake and slip of the tongue and everything afterwards. And then even everything afterwards is different a little bit than white snake and slip of the tongue. I, you, you can come into this and in, in, in think one thing of white snake and com- be completely blown and be like, that's the band. Yeah. And that's what if you, you know, you look at their catalog, that's the most of their music was like this different style of blues rock that they were producing in England for years before they broke out in, um, in United States, uh, in North America. Now, the other thing I like to do with White Snake is it's like a football coach's tree. You're going to take Black Sabbath rainbow. White Snake and Deep Purple, and then count the members that have been in two of those bands. Or if you want to, yeah, and you include Dio in there too, if you want. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: it absolutely is.
1: The band really, obviously,
0: the focal member of the band is David Coverdale. Yeah. And he replaced, you know, he was the replacement singer in, in Deep Purple after Ian Gillen was the original singer for Deep Purple. He was on the Burn album. The Stormbringer uh, album, as well as Come Taste the Band. And prior to Deep Purple, David Coverdale was the struggling musician, struggling singer in England. And he was a hairdresser. Um, and he got the call to come in and audition for Deep Purple after Ian left. And they decided to share vocals between the great bass player, Glenn Hughes, and David Coverdale. I like the Coverdale era of Purple more than the Ian era of really? Deep Purple. I like that R&B flair that doesn't really happen prior to them, him, uh, David and Glenn Hughes joining the band. So Burn and Stormbringer love those two albums. Love those two albums.
1: Yeah. It, it's funny you say that because I think uh, Stormbringer is the, Creation of Rainbow after that, when basically Richie Blackmore, it's like, I'm not doing this R and B shit. And it's funny because everyone knows of Richie as the guitar god, Deep Purple. And you would think like he would have this power to say, we're doing this. I'm doing this. Or is it because he's so (laughs) mercurial and so weird and strange? He just left his own band. He just like, I'm out of here. And he goes off and runs off and. Steals everybody from Elf, including Dio, and creates Rainbow. And I don't know it's the style there, but along the way becomes this long-term rivalry between David Coverdale and Richie Blackmore. And for years they would compare those rainbow albums and white snake albums. Who's doing better? What's going on over there? And uh I, I'm not sure, but I could have sworn I heard that recently they made up. But, uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. It really is. Yeah,
0: absolutely. When you think of Purple, uh, you know, people talk about Zeppelin and Black Sabbath as being the forefathers of heavy metal and hard rock. Deep Purple is probably right underneath both of those bands in terms of the influence, in terms of, you know, the style of that music that came afterwards. And they were, you know, they were along with that sabbathy zeppelin type of sound they had the organ that zeppelin had but you know sabbath really didn't have much influence with that you know that style but purple and had it the most and zeppelin dabbled in it on songs here and there on albums here and there but those three were really the forefathers of rock uh and and heavy metal and then they had a changeover with the singers david coverdale came in They'd change over the bass player. Glenn Hughes came in. They had these three albums that were very R&B-ish, bluesy, more bluesy than the previous albums. And Richie Blackmore, who does have a reputation of being difficult, um, decided to take his ball and go home and start Rainbow. And that last album with David Coverdale was with Tommy Bolin, the legendary guitar player. Yeah. They disbanded after that. Deep Purple didn't put out an album, I think, till the mid eighties, which was Perfect Strangers, which was in large part the original members of the band. But
1: yeah, David that was 84.
0: 84. Yeah. But David Coverdale started with a solo album. And he had a couple solo albums, and one of those solo albums was called Whitesnake. And but that was two words. It was yes, yes, very good point. It was two <laughs> words. And through all that, through the musicians that he was recording with and playing with in the UK and the musicians that he went with, he wanted—he always wanted to have another band. Um, and that was what happened after the White Snake, two words, started. But it was called originally David Coverdale's White Snake on the first album, which I believe was called Snakebite.
1: Yeah. You, so you're talking about the EP? Yes. So they took, what they did is, before they would sign them, the record company basically is like, eh, I'm not sure. And then they put out the EP, and then they took four songs from one of his solo albums, threw that on there as well. So then that came out, which has got a few really good songs that, uh, at least for me, that I really like and I wish they would play them and people would get to know some of these songs because they're really good. Um, steal away is one of them. Um, uh, if you get a chance to listen to that off snake bite, you'll really enjoy it. So that was the EP that came out in 78. So I believe his two solo albums came out in 77 and 78. Uh, the last being in March and then uh he releases the EP and then they come out in October cuz i think the EP was in June and then in October they release Trouble the first yes. actual album
0: and for those that had never heard trouble again it's a really it's a great throwback to the blues influences that david has uh when you hear and, and it goes on throughout these early albums up until that 87 album where the blues influence is so rich and so deep, you know, the Delta blues, the feel of the records. I mean, it's just, it's a blues band. It's a, it's a, it's a incredible deep influenced blues band that maybe doesn't have the, the R and B, the rhythm and blues flair, although there's elements of it not as much as it was on burn or Stormbringer, but it really kind of brings it home. And the early years, starting with Trouble, starting with David Coverdale's Snakebite EP, they had they were building success in the UK, in Europe, Japan, but they could never find it in the US, and it continued on throughout these albums. The album Trouble, um, which I love, and it's a great place to start. Obviously, it has the Day Tripper, John Lennon, Paul McCartney cover, which is really interesting. The title track is one of my favorite songs too as well. And I also like Take Me With You, which was written by David and Mick Moody. And Mick Moody, who was the guitar player, was really a a essential part in David Coverdale's journey to really mm-hmm. kind of push him to form this band called Whitesnake.
1: Yeah, so they basically came back combined the both words. Uh I like David Coverdale saying he said, "Well, I'm white if I was born in Africa." My band would be called Black Snake, whatever. But and that's the kind of reputation and the, the uh I guess the knock is what you would say about him in his salacious innuend sexual innuendos and constant lyrics, which are all about sex and stuff. But uh as far as uh, trouble, I, I like Lie Down. I think that's a great song uh a modern uh, modern love song i think that's great but what they started off with is Mick Moody was on his two solo albums so he brings in Mick Moody he brings in Bernie Marsden now it's the tradition that starts right from the top the two guitar attack two great guitarists and that stays throughout white snakes history i believe uh Bernie Marsden's a fantastic guitar player Fantastic. I think it was in UFO before. Yes. Mick Moody is a great songwriter and helps him out. And Marsden writes some songs as well. The great Neil Murray, who's on almost all their albums going up to 87, with the exception, I think, one. Um, and then they start with uh David Dowell on drums. And the great John Lord from Deep Purple comes on over. Now, John Lord is one of those only like keyboard players that I don't mind, you know. He ain't the Kiss Crazy Nights keyboard player. Yeah, Yeah, it's not that annoying stuff that hides guitars and, you know, and it's just he's a great player. And there are so many things where all of a sudden he goes off on a tangent and he starts doing a little solo and you get into it. He's really that good. And he's always been that good.
0: Yeah, they're creating a sound and... The essence of the band is, like I said, very rich in blues and phenomenal. When you hear these songs and you hear what comes after in their career, um, I know David, you know, kept wanting to attack North America throughout the early days. They did have some success as they went on, and we'll get into that. But, you know, what it didn't start maybe with with Snakebite, you know, with that EP, it definitely begins here with – with trouble. And as we move forward with the band, the band then comes out and releases Love Hunter, which another great sexual innuendo the album covers. When you when you see some (laughs) of these old album covers with with Whitesnake, and then you see the videos in
1: the on the eighty seven album, it all makes sense it all it all makes sense. You're like what's the what's the running theme? Like what is the connection between the 87 album and the in the beginning days? It's Coverdale. This is all Coverdale's sexual like ideas and thoughts and stuff. Um yeah, that cover with the naked woman straddling this huge python or whatever that is. <laughs> it it's out there. It's one of those uh like clever like Scorpions in that time frame covers and you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pushing the envelope.
0: It definitely does. It definitely does push the envelope. Uh, but that's part of the, the lore of the early White Snake stuff. You know, you, once you, after slide it in, it became very, um, the covers became more kind of vanilla with the logo, but the new logo, because the old logo, the classic logo, as you see on these albums, is more of a cursive style, white snake with you know leading with the snake head into the w and they changed it as the ws on the 87 album but that old lo- i love that old logo um yes it's, it's i it's, do love it
1: yeah it's they awesome. never should have changed it um, i agree one other thing i wanted to mention is we we didn't bring it up but starting from that first album martin birch does all their producing basically all the way up um for many albums and uh Martin Burst, is just a great, great producer. Uh he's done Iron uh, Iron Maiden, uh Deep Purple, just a bunch of uh, bands. And uh and he's he, you know, the first two albums right off the bat, he's there. And so that's uh, a running theme there too.
0: Yeah, a lot of those UK guys, whether producers or engineers, you know, really were a tight knit group of people. You know, they they appear on, like you said, Maiden is Maiden. Really rose to prominence in the '80s. Uh, you know, some of these guys also you know appeared on the purple stuff as well, um, and other groups. But they were very, um, very integral with a lot of bands that were rising up. And and really, when you think of the '70s, especially the early part, and throughout the bands in the UK, although there were bands like Kiss and Aerosmith and others as well. But when you talk about hard rock, you talk about heavy metal the uk really was the 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 or they really were at the forefront of hard rock and heavy metal throughout that whole decade
1: yeah. yeah i agree with you
0: yeah so the the album itself with the with the album cover again check it out if you've never seen it a lot of you will we will remember these album covers thumbing through them in record stores back in the 80s because when 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 the '87 album came out, it caused a resurgence, and a lot of their early stuff was re-released here in America. Yeah. So, so I remember going to get the, you know, God, how old was I? '87. I was twelve, at the at the very beginning of puberty, thumbing through the White Snake stuff and seeing these album covers, and just knowing I could never bring this home. I could never break these albums inside this house because I don't know what's going on with this snake and this naked woman. But growing up in an in a Irish Italian Catholic family outside of Chicago, that would have been uh, that would have been big trouble.
1: Yeah, I'm the same way like you. As soon as White Snake was the first concert I think I ever saw. I was a freshman in high school. Uh, my brother took me. And I saw Whitesnake and Great White opening up. It was the wow. first concert I ever walked into. And I remember having the debate with some of my, it was my brother's friends and me. I remember I was in the back seat of the car, them giving me a couple of beers and, you know, <laughs> trying to act like a tough guy. And I remember arguing like these, this band's better than Zeppelin. And this is, this was my mentality at the time. Zeppelin was harder to get into than Whitesnake. Snake. And here's why. If you look at the song tracks from the first couple of albums, okay? So I did, and I think Love Hunter, the song itself is the, uh, yeah, I am correct. Uh, Love Hunter, the song itself is the longest song, and that's at 538. These were shorter songs. There were no epics. There was no no quarter on this. There's no uh Achilles' Last Stand. These are blues songs, but hard rock blues songs that were done in three to four minutes. Easier to swallow, easier to get into. Um, the formula in the first couple albums, actually, all the way through up until Slide It In, straight rock and roll blues and uh awesome vocals, great dual guitar attack, and a fantastic rhythm section lyrics bluesy women sex things like that um and they're continuing that trend on this second album now for this album um i would say this is probably one of my favorite if not the favorite uh of the early albums uh long way from home which is a video online you can catch it and you're like oh my goodness take a look at this band uh and, uh, you know, you start noticing the stupid hats they are all wearing in the band and the mustaches. And then you realize, yeah, no wonder he switched it up to get big in the U S because that wasn't going to fly. Uh, long way from home is a great song. Walking in the shadow of the blues loves to brag about the blues, talking about his story. I love the blues. They tell my story. Oh my God. He's, he's oh, really uh, uh, fantastic. Uh, and then that those riffs like steal away on the first ep and stuff that comes up on slide it in that you know come and get it even in on 87 those riffs medicine man has that same classic white snake riff that you'll know what i mean the stops and stutters and the drums and the get crunchy guitars awesome i love medicine man it's a fantastic song and then obviously uh Love Hunter and We Wish You Well is a great song and a closer I like. But Love Hunter is a great tune.
0: And I love Rock and Roll Women, too, as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's another one. See, this album really sticks out. No, I don't think there's anything. uh, Help me through the day's nice little bluesy tune, too. There's nothing. There's no weak, really, songs on this album. One of my favorites.
0: And if you get the updated remastered version, there's some bonus tracks, too, as well, which also includes Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. Which was off their, which was off the David Coverdale Snakebite EP, was an official White Snake album. It kind of was, kind of wasn't, but that's a great cover song that was originally appeared on the Bobby Blue Band for the ABC Dunhill album Dreamer. It's a 1974 R&B song, um, which is just a, a great track, and really. Throughout these early early days, even though it was a cover, was a song that was resonating across the globe. Uh, just because their version is 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 very good, their live version of it is phenomenal. Uh, I'm glad they included it on the bonus tracks for this on the remastered version, but it's one of the very unappreciated, unknown Zeppelin. I'm sorry, White Snake. There album. you go, White Snake songs that people don't really recognize and and obviously you know we heard the news earlier this week or late last week uh when david cardale announced that he won't be or white snake won't be performing with scorpions because of health issues which i believe is an upper respiratory issue that he's having yeah it's too bad it's but when they play live it's too bad that they don't play some of this stuff even a song or two i think a lot of people would kind of be like deer in the headlights because they never heard it but it's it's some stuff that really hopefully someday it's highly unlikely at this point who knows if white snake will get back on the road and tour um you know i I, it's kind of tough to see david coverdale one of the amazing frontmen of of rock and roll in rock and roll history go out this way i kind of know He probably wanted to go on in his own terms, but he is 72. And, you know, even before the health issues, he announced that this was it. So once he overcomes this, which we all hope he does, will he have the stamina? Will he have the motivation to go back out and tour? That's, that's still an unknown.
1: Yeah, it it will be too bad if that's how they end up and they just go out um, because of this. But uh Again, if, if you look at these tracks and you look what they're starting off, he's setting a good precedent. But I will say, you tell you this ain't no love in the heart of the city is like my shandy. He plays that like that's on all every live album they have. They play it. It's the same fucking thing over and over. It's just, oh. God. You, it sounds like you really enjoy it, so I'm going to hate to put a damper on it, yeah. but it's so... I don't know. It's like I can respect it. It's like since you... uh, uh Since I've Been Loving You from Zeppelin 3, which we'll talk about coming up. Great tune. I love it and stuff. Oh, Ain't No Love in Hotter City. And he loves this song. He puts it on everything. And I remember when we all got back into Zeppelin... Not got back into, excuse me when we discovered white snake um and you go back and you stop buying all their older stuff and i remember you know you see the videos right and i'm like oh white snake live ain't no uh love in the heart of the city and i bought their live that live album I'm like who the hell are these people like i who's that fat guy in the front who's this idiot with the Kangol hat who's this idiot with like the stupid uh cap he's got on and I'm like, who are these people? Yeah. No idea that it's not like Adrian Vandenberg and you know uh Vivian Campbell and Rudy Sarzo on them with uh you know the 80s uh hairdo, you know? Well when you when
0: you look at that 87 album, which by the way, everyone on that album, that picture, all that all those press photos, none of those people play. That 87 yeah. album, which is except Adrian Vandenberg, he does the solo and here I go again. That's the only that's the only person in in those videos that actually plays on the album. But to get to your point, this is a great band. This is a band full of great musicians who make great music and great songs with zero image. No. They have zero image. Careless. And 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 this again was the reason why they were never able to get their foot in the door in the U S because they looked like a blues bar band at the time. You know, they didn't really have, I mean, even Coverdale's image was very subdued back then, you know, whether he dressed in a lot of black um, and a lot of the stuff, but, you know, he really hadn't, what's the right word I'm trying to use. He really hadn't accepted the need to have an image, especially for a front man, you know, back in the seventies, you could get on stage in jeans and, you know, whatever, and have a little bit of an image. But, you know, when you think of bands like, you know, Zeppelin, you know, Zeppelin was really the first band to kind of really have that, you know, image, the stones, you know, were just guys playing blues, you know, the Beatles obviously had the suits and they kind of had their image, but for whatever reason, Whitesnake didn't really accept the fact that they needed to have an image if they wanted to move beyond the UK and, and Europe.
1: Yeah, not to get off too much of a detour, but that's the whole thing that happened is when you get those 70s bands and they try to make it in the 80s in the United States and they can't come over because the image. Well, some bands were able to do it, Genesis, ZZ Top, and change and go along and get the MTV generation. White Snake was not going to come over with mustaches like Uriah Heap, UFO yeah. and bands like that. They're not going to come over and be able to translate onto MTV now at this stage. They have to change the image. But at this time, thankfully it was all about the music. And with the music, I think they're on a roll. Um, but rock and roll in that new, um, a new wave of British heavy metal was picking up in overseas, but it was kind of a dark time with the exception of Van Halen around this time in the U S When you got rod, you got kiss, you got rolling stones, all putting out disco type tunes. Um, it wasn't really, uh, a, a big, healthy rock, uh, you know, sound and, uh, uh, type of music going on in the scene back then?
0: No, it wasn't. No, and and really, from these first couple albums, they really kind of found their footing with the next album, Ready and Willing, which is my second favorite album yeah. from the early days from Whitesnake. Um, love this album. Love the fact that they were really starting to climb the charts in the UK. And even in the U.S., they just were able to get in the top 100 um, with this album. Uh, it does feature the original version of "Full for Your Lovin," which later appeared on the Slip of the Tongue album.
1: You mean it's, the better version with with Steve I? I'm not going to make that. I, I, no, no, no. This is the better version. Yes, yes this with is the Mickey better Moody and Bernie Marsden. Yes, they absolutely. do a better job. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a problem with that slip of the tongue album for a couple reasons. We'll get into it as we talk about it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Full 311 was the first track, and this was really the first single that really started to to get you know, help them get their footing um, as a as a band to be reckoned with. Um, but just some you know the title track, Ready Willing, uh, Blind Man, which was a great song too, which yes. I think also appeared on um, one of David Coverdale's solo albums. Ain't gonna cry no more, great tune. Uh, she's a woman, another great tune as well. Again, they've got some remastered bonus tracks and to Zeus's point, there's another version of <laughs> <Hate the> love <laughs> in the heart to of the city. You,
1: they threw that on everything.
0: And it's also got mistreated, which was on, I believe, the burn album as yeah. well. So that's a nice treat that they played. And this is the first
1: album that features another deep purple member, Ian Pace. Yeah. So he comes on board. So now you got three Deep Purple members now in the band. And what's starting to come up and become an issue is the treatment that the Deep Purple members in White Snake are getting versus the original White Snake members, the Bernie Marsons, Mick Moody's and Neil Murray's. And there's some conflict brewing because he's paying them more. John Lord and obviously Ian Bass. Um, the other song I really like is Carry Your Load. I, I mean, the, the whole album again, they're just a bunch of very good rock blues songs. So if you haven't discovered this discography of the earlier stuff, put them on. I'm telling you, you're going to like it, really like it. And the uh, Fool for Your Loving is a great example. So much more. more There's a video for it too. It's, it's like night and day watch this video and then watch the other video with uh Steve Vai and Vandenberg and they're all doing, everything is so slick and polished and like hair and image versus another, the original image of them playing a live, like a live track of this and just them kicking ass and, and just uh, the dual guitar of Marsden and, and Moody. I just think it's so much better. But, that's what, that's just me. Yeah, no, I, I love this album. It, it's
0: one that I recommend if you're. I mean, any you can't go wrong with any of these. But you know, with the one that uh, Zeus just mentioned, Love Hunter or Ready and Willing. If you want to start with either one of these, when you talk in the early days of yeah. of uh, of White Snake, you can't go wrong with either one. Uh, both phenomenal albums, and just be prepared—it's going to be different. It's not going to be the the power chords. It's not going to be the big hooks. It's not going to be the sleekness that Zeus mentioned. It's a blues, a rock blues album. So, uh, of all these albums, I should say, are. Uh, but yeah, no, this is an album that really kind of again started the 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 path to success or the journey to success for for White Snake in the U.S. They followed this up with a live album, Live in the Heart of the City. Now, the 70s is known as a decade of of live albums. This one always gets forgotten, and it shouldn't, because it's a fantastic
1: live album. Uh, I like it. Uh, I had it when I, again, when I got into Whitesnake, I went back and bought all their, at the time, they were cassettes. Uh, So I had this cassette. And uh, I got on it and I'm like, I I remember I was laughing about the cover and I'm looking like, is that like fat Jimmy Page there with the double Gibson there? (laughs) Have you ever seen, you've seen the cover? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bernie Marsden uh, It's just, uh, you know, he's wailing on the dual neck uh, Gibson there. and, And Marsden's got his, I don't know, pitfall character from Atari hat. It's just, I'm like, who the hell are these people?
0: If you want to get a clear image of what they were about during these times, think 38 Special meets Fog Hat meets the Doobie Brothers.
1: Yeah, the Doobie Brothers is a great example of it. Yeah. Um, Except I think White Snake has better songs.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But their image did not fit their music. No, no. That was the issue. That was the issue. But if you're looking for a great live album that you haven't picked up that was released in the seventies, actually this was released in the eighties. So that's maybe the you why. Know, it doesn't,
1: 1980, I
0: think it was. Yeah, maybe that's why it doesn't get included. But it, it features all the seventies tunes and everything. So it is a great, great live album. So um, I highly do recommend. Then came Come and Get It. Oh. Which I know you like. Oh, um, I love this. This hit number two on the UK charts. Uh the only reason why it didn't was because of Adam and the Ants, King of the Wild Jeez. Frontier. But this song, feature, or this album, feature, um, features a song, Don't Break My Heart Again. Oh, which, beautiful song. Which was then re-recorded for the 87 album and released as a B-side to, I believe, Here I Go Again. So that originally, and and White Snake, as we move on and we start to talk about their music, you're going to see a lot of this stuff um, show up on earlier albums that was was re- later re recorded for for the newer sounding albums.
1: Yeah, they actually did a video for it too, as well, which is great. Um, I. I again, the song is one of my favorite white snake songs I could go down this i mean I love this whole album, but if you really want to pick out songs, don't break my heart again uh, wine women's song is a ton of fun the whole piano on that's fantastic uh would I lie to you and that ending track till the day I die top five white snake track for me of all time absolutely love it during covid I didn't even know David Coverdale could pick up a guitar. He's one of those, uh, guys that I never want to see a guitar in his hand. It doesn't fit the image. Like Robert Plant, don't put a guitar in your hand. Mick Jagger, him, Eddie Vedder, I don't know what, who gave them the ideas to put a guitar on them. Sometimes like they don't need you. Take that off. You look ridiculous. But during COVID, David Coverdale would sing some songs. I don't know if you remember, if you followed him. And he would do like a couple songs and he did till the day I die. And he played it, you know, on an acoustic guitar and he played it. I was just like, holy shit, do you know how obscure this is that he's doing this right now? Loved it. It's a great tune. In the um, you know, acoustic beginning, and then boom, it hits you. Rocking guitar. Same um Martin Birch, same lineup right now. So they're consistent, you could say. Once they got Ian Pace in there now, they're consistent. It's going to go for a couple more albums. Um, this album is unbelievable. It's, uh, I would say my f- probably favorite White Snake album of all time. I will put it way above, uh, 87. I don't know about Slide It In and, uh, right, you know, not too far ahead of Love Hunter, but come and get it. It's a fantastic album.
0: It is, and I also want to include "What I Lied To" you is a great song too, oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. And "Lonely Days, Lonely Nights" I like too as well. It's just it, the, all these albums have this vibe that is—it's hard to explain what it's like because it's not the power of Zeppelin, and it's not the power of Purple, but it's got a—it's a, a middle ground. Yeah. And it's its own style. Right. And absolutely. And it's and, you know, when you think of the 87 album of how over the top that was and the subtlety that really was consistent with their early albums, I sort of appreciate that subtlety. Right. You know, sometimes sometimes you don't need to prove how fast you can play guitar. Sometimes if you just play by feel, which that's probably the best way to explain these albums is these albums are all feel. And, uh, just a, a tremendous, another great record, another tremendous record. Still, the US charts are elusive. I know it reached the top 200, but still, if you're a band and you're trying to break into the US, being in the top 200 is just not going to cut it. You're not going to get the funding from management or whatever to put yourself on a tour. You're not going to, I mean, it's still true to this day. You're not going to get on a big tour with a big band if you're not cracking that top 40, which they were still unable to do. And then comes my favorite album of the early days, which is Saints and Sinners. I love this album. And again, it features an angel with snake, a a naked angel with snakes wrapped around uh, on the cover. So again, you know, the sexual innuendo, kind of sacrilegious with the angels, but, you know, Coverdale never never shied away from any controversy.
1: Yeah, and this is the first time we started seeing the, the chinks in the armor yeah moody quits for a little bit um and you know he has a uh if you know the story about white snake their manager john coletta has a lot of influence over the band i i i believe uh it was uh he had uh produce uh not producing what's the phrase i'm looking for um He was getting the manager side. Mm -hmm. He was getting uh, a a producer, not producer. What's that? Publishing. Thank you. Sorry. Publishing as well. And he was taking a lot of money from the band. And then who wasn't, uh, would then get split, obviously, by the three big deep purple guys. And people were getting tired of it. And, uh, you know, for a little bit, then uh, Marsden quits for a little bit. And then you got all sorts of band conflict going on. And you're starting to see why why that happened. And uh, unfortunately, um, then they moved over to a different label now. They're going to Geffen. So some changes going on in the band here. Um, you know, same producer. Um, the album is though still mostly written by Coverdale, Marzin and Moody, as far as lyrics go. Um, but this was probably the end of it. Um, I think uh, Mel Galley did some work on it. will come up later in the band. But, uh, you know, th- this is when the band was starting to fall apart. Uh, they had the first versions of Here I Go Again in Crying in the Rain. I don't know if I would say they're better versions, though, than like a, like a
0: hobo version of Here I Go Again.
1: Yes. Yes. Um I don't know. Uh there's some other good songs on this album.
0: Victim uh, of you- Love. Yeah. Love Victim of Love. Love Rough and Ready. Love uh Love and Affection, which I, I, I actually love. And and the title track at the end too, as well. I yeah. love this
1: album. You don't like Dancing Girls? I do like Dancing <laughs> Girls too, as well. <laughs> it's right a too. good album. It's a very good album. But you were talking about now 82, late 82. So we're really, if you think about it, guys and girls out there that are listening, when we're really, people our age are starting us on the Motley Crue's, you're getting quiet riots, you're getting Def Leppard. So you know what their contemporaries are in the United States. And, you know, if you hear, here I go again, like a hobo, you're like, I'm not seeing this competing with uh, Photograph, right?
0: Yeah, Uh, Photograph was was so a couple years out or a year or two away, but I know what you're saying where you're right on the cusp of more of an image-based, more image-based bands, right? More with the hair, with the, with the, the good looking guys, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Rat, you know, all these guys coming up from LA, no so, facial hair, right? No facial hair, outfits, leather, spandex. You're starting to get into that. Although It got out of control later on. But like you said, if you're a band like Whitesnake and you're seeing what's happening in America at this time, this is really the end, unless you make a change. Yeah, I mean, because you're not going to do anything.
1: Yeah, this is the last of really this lineup. Right. Um, And all of a sudden, he's got to come back and do something different. And that's what comes on with the next album, which is really the transformation to the, what most people know of white snake.
0: Right. I mean, a lot of people think this is white snakes first album. Yes. Because, you know, it featured more of a slick sound. It featured three outstanding videos that were in rotation in, at, at at MTV when MTV played videos. Uh, again, it was their fourth top 10 album in the UK. Um, but, it was their first breakthrough, first real breakthrough into the United States. Um, and it's actually gone double platinum since its release. Obviously, it probably was helped by the 87 album oh, to get those numbers. Was. Yeah. But it was the, the also the final album using the old logo that was known on the early albums, too, as well. Sold over 4 million records. Uh, it had a harder sound, but it also features two different versions. There's the UK version, and then there's the the US version. And depending on what side you want to fall on, um, the US version featured John Sykes on guitar and, and Mel Galley, and, and also I believe Cozy Powell on drums. But, but here's the differences. So David Coverdale was the lead vocals, obviously. Mel Galley. I believe, played on both versions. Mickey Mooney played guitars on the U.K. version. John Sykes, who left Finn Lizzy right after the death of Phil Lynott. Prior to that, he was in the new wave of British heavy metal band Tigers of Pantang. So he hops on for this. Colin Hodgkinson is the bass player in the U.K. version. Neil Neil Murray plays on the U.S. version. Cozy Powell plays drums on both, as does John Lord, plays both on the keyboards. But or Bill Cuomo also does some additional keyboards too on the U.S. version. But this was the first slick sounding, harder riffs, a little bit of more of an edge, still with the bluesy influence. But you could tell they were they were going for something different on this album. And I will say with one hundred percent certainty for this album, there is not a bad track slide it in I don't consider this I don't consider this the old version of white Snake. I consider this the new beginning of white snake with the new sound getting to that 87 album sound
1: this is the transition album yeah this is the album that fills in the gap I think it's um I I always liking this to down to earth by rainbow where the music is really similar to Dio, but the lyrics are more towards Joe Lynn Turner, but the singer is Graham Bonnet. It's the middle sound of Rainbow. Same here. So you still have a John Lord in the band. When you have John Lord in that band, it's still the older sounding sound, you know? Um. So if you think about it, Mick Moody, John Lord are still over there. And they brought in a new guy. They kicked out Neil Murray, who's been on every album. And they kick him out and bring in this Colin Hodgkinson on. For I mean, the UK version. Yeah. For he me. was in the band. Yeah. And then David Geffen and Geffen Records is like, you, you're not putting this shit out in the U.S. So there's a huge difference. You guys can tell. Listen to the album. There's a huge difference in the U.S. version. And you know, the UK version, the album came out in the UK January 30th. The album comes out January, April 16th in the US. So they mixed it up. So all of a sudden, McMoody's bluesier type guitar is now supplanted with John Sykes guitar god like, uh, sounds and they bring back Neil Murray. And he's on the US version. And they replace John Lord's keyboards, really, um, with Bill Cuomo. And Mel Galley's uh the kicking ass on this album now. Um, he's not on there too long, but there's um a great, and it's probably another top five songs of favorite of mine. Give me more time. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love that song. The way and then, you know, we haven't really talked about it. How, what a front man, David covered. First of all, his vocals. He's a great, soulful singer. Remember in his stage presence, the way he holds the mic, he looks like he commands it. Very, very powerful. And there's a great performance. I think it's Top of uh, the Pops there, the British show. They do, it's basically lip sync, but they play uh Give Me More Time. Check that out. I've, it made me love the song even more. It's such a kick-ass version.
0: Well, yeah, I'm right there with you. Guilty of Love is a great song. All or Nothing, spit it out. Um, but it really, the audience were was captivated by the three singles in the U.S., which was the title track, it In, which has an instantly recognizable guitar riff. Uh, love Ain't No Stranger, which was a huge hit. And Slow and Easy, which... Oh. which is one of the best songs they've ever
1: recorded. Everybody comes back to that. When they learned of White Snake and White Snake became big, people went back because the other one selling in the United States was slided in. So, like you said, people thought that, oh, that must be their first album. And then they everybody picked up on Slow and Easy. And then they could see the video for it. And that song, it just kicks ass. Um, there's something still about it. Uh, that I always find funny. I think Coverdale is like the most British sounding singer that I like. Guilty of love, guilty of love, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the previous couple albums, would I lie to you just to get in your pants, right? Mm-hmm. That British voice. I think it's, it's prevalent you can hear it, but he's, it's got that soul behind him, that power behind it. He can hit you. With the melodic voice and the power, and then the screaming he could do, he can do it all. Quintessential front man. really.
0: Absolutely, you know. And again, you know, he's a very, you know, with the, uh, his lyrics are very with the sexual innu- innuendos, like spit it out, you know, oh. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it, it gets it goes throughout the whole career for White Snake, a fantastic album. To me, this is their best album they've ever released. But you're also starting to hear, you know, with the, you know, this album comes out in 84, um, but going with the times of Van Halen with Jump and I'll Wait, the song Gambler, synthesizer, Mm -hmm. keyboard, much different than the earlier stuff. In fact, that was the lead track, the first track on the UK version. It wasn't slided in like it was on, on the U.S. version. And I still remember playing Gambler in my front yard on my boombox my, with my cassette, just jamming it all the way as loud as it could go. Because it's got this funky, weird intro with mm. the keyboard. And it just has got this march, this drumbeat march with the music just going. And then, of course, you know, you know, like you said, uh, Guilty of Love, Guilty. which is a great song. Uh, you know, spit it out, all or nothing, hungry for love, give me more time, which is kind of like, kind of like the bookend with slide it in with the guitar riff in the beginning. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing album.
1: Yeah. Again, it's the guitar riffs. If you start listening to some of their songs from the early days to this, you can, it's almost like an, I I think I can pick it up. So if I don't hear the vocals and I hear the song, I'm like, oh, I can pick that. That's a white snake song. Almost like a, like a like how you can identify ACDC right off the bat when you hear it. Um it, I, I it's very and there's a lot of that. Spit it out's got that, all or nothing's got that, give me more time's got that, slide it in's got that, that riff, stop, drum, stop. You know, it, it's it's in so many of their songs.
0: It is that one rip. Bam, bam, bam. Bam. Bam, uh, bam. Oh, it's just
1: awesome. oh, my. and then his voice makes it better.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. I I it's just and and this is the thing. Uh, you know, the way he conducts himself, the way he's on stage, taking the microphone, turning it upside down and pumping it and singing it to it, and he, like getting all passion and stuff. I I mean, so underrated, so underrated as a front man.
0: Next is the big one, is the is the is the album that finally they were able to break through the U.S. with the image of the videos, which is just as important for Whitesnake as the music is. I don't know. You know, truth be told, if. White Snake maintains their image of the band that was in the late seventies, early eighties. This album doesn't do anything. No, okay, does not do anything. Tawny Catane, you may disagree with me, you may not, but Tawny Catane is just as much responsible for this being a huge album for them as the music is. Okay, when you think of that first video with Slide, or I'm sorry, "Stole the Night" with her, and then into here I go again with her on top of the Jaguars. And then is this love where, where she's wearing the suit coat with no bottom pants on or whatever. Um, She is just as important when people think of white snake and the popularity that they rose from with this album, of course they'll think of here I go again and still the night and all those songs. But within a minute of that conversation, they talk about the videos, and they talk about Tawny Katane.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I don't know if they could have made it without one or the other, right? I, I think a uh, hot Tawny Katane and the music of Danger Danger is not being it's selling 8 million albums, right? Okay, but combine the two, a great album, a great image, and you know you kind of recognized all the players if you liked hard rock and metal and were buying circus magazine and stuff you recognized who Rudy Sarzo is you recognized who Vivian Campbell is you know and you kind of picked up on who these players were they all looked like perfect for that image and and then there comes the part that you know everyone seems to forget now but all the shit that they got for being a Zeppelin ripoff Mm -hmm. when they come out with still the night. And I was, and I'll say to you right now, it's a better song than black dog because for me it is, but I know it's blasphemy for some, but it's a better song. Uh, It's a great
0: song. And I remember this controversy because it was, I remember standing at the grocery store as my mother shopped and I'm reading about all the criticisms from other musicians and, and readers of the magazines, whether it was Hip Raider, Circus, whatever it was. When Adrian Vandenberg comes out and says, because and he did say this, that he didn't know Jimmy Page used oh, a yeah. violin bow. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
0: How are you, how do you grow up in Europe and not know that Jimmy Page used a violin bow? During "Dazed and Confused," during the live versions of "Dazed and Confused," not just "Dazed and Confused." Well, yeah, but that's pretty much what you know. What what he was, you know. That's that, that when people think of Jimmy Page in the video, yeah. Well, you're right. Yeah, they think of that, but not just that. But like when he did that in the video, and think about it, Zeppelin hadn't even been gone for ten years at the time.
1: So you know, there's still a very emotional- and the song that you're playing is almost exactly like black dog. Well, it's more like, well, there's parts of it. Are like almost kind of like uh cashmere too, as well. You know what? It, it was with black dog it, yeah. for me. I mean that it sounded like, but regardless he knew that, but they were getting a lot of stuff. And I remember when we started this episode, I was telling you that I was saying to my brother and them, Oh yeah, this is a better band. Now, mind you at that point, I was you know maybe a freshman or eighth grade or something. I was still, Zeppelin wasn't, I knew Stairway to Heaven and Black Dog, right? I knew Zeppelin 4. And again, they're easier to swallow and to pick up on and learn at that age where I'm at. White Snake songs like Still the Night and Here I Go Again, they're a lot easier. I mean, by far, Still the Night is probably the longest song they've had now they've ever done. It's at six minutes and 38 seconds. At this point, yeah, you're right. Right, so you're not getting those huge monstrosities that you would hear on other albums. They're they're right to the point. They look good, they sound good, they look brand new. I remember the album. I, like, and it I was so over that. the top. The imagery was so over the top. With yeah. Rudy
0: Sarzo licking the bass, you know, and Adrian Vandenberg with this great blonde hair, um, Vinnie, Vivian Campbell, you know, who just came from Dio.
1: Freddie Ald- Krueger on the drums. Tommy Aldridge on the <laughs> drums.
0: But what really starts to define it really kind of started early on, and it really came through on Slide It In. And now here we are with the 87 self-title album. The one word that you, you you could describe White Snake's music that you couldn't do with any other band during this period was the sexiness of the videos. But the music had a sexy tone to Sleek. it. Sleek, yeah, sleazy, sexy tone. You know, like like just the way the arrangements were. It, a band like this, or a band that had that sexy tone to it, really hadn't existed since Zeppelin, because Zeppelin kind of had that tone too, with the way you know Plant sang the songs, the way he approached the music. It was very, it was very reminiscent of that. And for whatever reason, they kind of got a pass that maybe a band like Kingdom Come didn't get during that period, where Kingdom Come was basically shunned immediately when they released Get It On, which was I think 88 or 89. But, you know, Zeppelin on that Still the Night video, and a lot of the the music was very Mm Zeppelin-influenced at that time, and it really kind of furthered the they certainly were never friends, but it furthered the gap in a relationship between Plant and Coverdale. So much so oh, yeah. that Plant started referring to Coverdale as as cover, what was it, cover page? Yeah, cover page. Um in interviews because he felt that he was copying a lot of what Plant did and that remained that that disdain for one another remained for a long time, and only probably over the last decade have they been kind of you know reconciled their relationship. But there was a, a frosty relationship between the two of them, and then it even furthered when Page got so sick and tired of Plant saying no yep. to a reunion, and then later
1: started the Coverdale Page album. Now, a uh, one thing I wanted to add, and I, I got off track just. Is- before the album came out, do you guys have a strawberries there? They used to sell CDs, strawberries. There's this there's was a CD store around. You may have something was, like that. I was at the strawberries in locally in Boston. This is before Whitesnake came out. And they had a big like bill, not a billboard, um, what do you call those things? Like a stand? Like a cardboard stand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was Whitesnake, the album coming out. I'm like never heard any of their music. Mind you, I was buying the hit paraders, I was buying all those other magazines. I'm like, Who the hell are these guys? I never even heard of them, but I could see them like this image that they had. Then it was them from the video, like those five. And I'm like, I have to get this. What is this? It was like the shiny toy. Like when kids like, uh, aren't supposed to have like alcoholic beverages or things that are for adults, but they make it shiny for a kid. I am like, what is this? I don't even know if this is any good, but I get to buy this album. And then I saw the video and I was like, I definitely got to buy it. <laughs> so just the image itself, I was into picture perfect. Right. And that's without yeah. Tawny contained. That's all me knowing any song by this band. And I jumped on it. Um, I'm going to say something else that you, you know, I know we do the Zeppelin Chronicles together, buddy, that you're going to find blasphemous. I prefer a Coverdale over page over. I prefer a Coverdale over plant.
0: Let's just move on. I don't even want to. I don't even want to. I'm not even going to recognize that statement.
1: I do. (laughs) What are you fucking talking about? Better singer. No way. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't. A lot of the uh, old British guard are not big Zeppelin fans and stuff. A lot of people find Robert's voice grating or his antics or his stuff. I still love Robert Plant. I love Led Zeppelin, obviously. You know that. But uh, there's nothing except like anything I would hear out of David Coverdale singing. Never be like, oh, Coverdale's not doing a good job, or Coverdale like that, or Coverdale's being annoying. Just uh, for me, I like him better. He fits my style. I, I like him better. And I always thought when I first got into him, like, oh, this guy is new. He how could he dare compare himself? to you know Robert plant it's embarrassing shut your mouth don't get into a fight with Robert plant you look an idiot but i didn't realize later on is the backstory this guy was in fucking deep purple the guy was kicking ass in the 70s too so they knew each other before white snake became this oh new uh zeppelin ripoff right so they must have bumped into heads in circles and stuff probably had no problem with it and the problem is eventually in the, that 80s time period zeppelin was the love of all those bands and there was a lot of zeppelin ripoffs and robert probably had enough of it well guess what buddy if you don't want to fill the void of that music or play that music other people are and he got annoyed with them and one of them was coverdale you know plus the meme and the way you do like play with the microphone yeah there was some uh showmanship right and competition going on there
0: i know i i think the range with plant alone is more has more depth than Coverdale could ever dream of, in my opinion.
1: Um, I don't know. I don't know. Regardless, they're both fantastic. Yeah,
0: they're both fantastic. Yeah, they're both great frontmen and great singers. But this album, getting back to it, didn't come without its drama. Uh If you notice, Slide It In came out in '84. This came out in '87. There was a big gap in between this and. What started out as a great relationship between David Coverdale, Neil Murray, and John Sykes ended up not being a great relationship because during the recording of this Coverdale developed a sinus infection that affected his tone of his voice so much so that he couldn't sing for a long time. He had to be, he had to rest his voice. He, he had a lot of issues. I think there was some surgery involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Sykes was chasing this tone prior to the recording and finding it with the help of Coverdale, there was rising drama within the band. If you if you listen to a lot of the early stuff that Sykes played, like Tigers of Pantang and Thin Lizzie, you hear a guy trying to find his sound. And it's almost like comparing Randy Rhodes to what he was in Quiet Riot. To how he found his sound in Ozzy Osbourne. So it's that kind of, you know, comparison. Sykes, if you listen to the album that he did after he left Whitesnake Blue Murder, yeah, you hear that tone again and you really hear why Sykes or how Sykes influenced this 87 album because mm-hmm. that Blue Murder album is tremendous. It's a good album. So during this time of recuperation for David Coverdale, there started to be some bad blood between John Sykes, Coverdale made a statement. I still remember reading this interview when I was a kid that none of his bandmates came to visit him or show support through in these, what David described as a very dark time in his career. And there were rum- rumors and rumblings of him and the producer at the time, Mike Stone, who I believe produced the Slided In album, looking for a singer to replace David Coverdale, which I don't know well, how...
1: Well, I I'll correct you on that. That was uh that was a rumor that was the rumor was that Sykes had taken over in the production area and he went up to that guy, the A and R guy, the famous Geffen AR guy. I think his name John Kladner. John John Kladner. Yeah. And was like, hey, maybe we'll just get another singer. <laughs> and then <laughs> Coverdale's hearing about what what he call it's doing, and they're both control freaks and great musicians, and probably sad that they didn't get to do more together. And Coverdale's like, "Hey John, fire him," <laughs> and then he kind of told me how to get fired. And I supposedly Coverdale ran to his car, and <laughs> Sides ran down, yeah, yeah, and like was like, "Open up," and he's like, "Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Uh, It was his idea. Gotta go." Round took
0: off. Yeah, there was there was a big big to do about this. I remember when this album came out of why none of the members that replaced them played on, on the album. And basically, Coverdale just kind of collected Rudy Sarzo, who was you know an Ozzy Osbourne and Quiet Riot. Adrian Vandenberg had his band Vandenberg which had a mild hit in 1981. I think it was called Burning Heart. Maybe 83. Yeah. Uh, Vivian Campbell had just left Dio. And like Rudy Sarzo played in Quiet Riot and also the early days of Quiet Riot and also with Ozzy was Tommy Aldridge. So that's kind of how the band formed. The only two songs that you're able to hear the guitar players on is Here I Go Again, which was Adrian Vandenberg doing the guitar solo Mm -hmm. and Vivian Campbell on the re-release of Give me, give me all your love. Give me all your love tonight.
1: The mix in '88.
0: Yeah, the mix. Vivian Campbell does the solo, but like a lot of their albums, they had three different versions or four different versions. They had the U.S. version, which released, which which reached number two in the U.S., which is a huge feat for a hard rock band, especially on their seventh album when they've been an, around for close to a decade at this point. But it featured the "Crying in the Rain" song, or "Crying in the Rain" version, which was on an earlier release. It featured "Here I Go Again," which was on an earlier release. "Give Me All Your Love," which is what I, I said before with the uh, with the Vivian Campbell, um, and then also they had a lot of different singles. Like when you used to buy the cassette single, remember those? And they would kind of replace the forty five. They had um, different songs on there, so. One of those songs was "You're Gonna Break My Heart Again," which was pre-released before. I think it was on what the "Come and Get It" album. I want to say, and then also "I Need Your Love So Bad," which was, I believe, on "Saints and Sinners," which was a which was a I, song I thought off it of,
1: Was um, hold on? I thought it was "Looking for Love."
0: Looking for love was another one. Looking for love, right. was another, but I need your love so bad was also a pre-release too as well. I'm trying to remember what album that was on um, or when it was released. I think it was maybe, okay, it was actually released as an extra track on the Japanese version of Slide It In. But Looking For Love was also You're Gonna Break My Heart Again. So again, they're one of the few bands that went back into their catalog because let's face it, I mean, if you're Coverdale and you know these songs are really good, why wouldn't you want to redo them, right? Why wouldn't you want people, more mm-hmm. people here in an updated version of what you're doing? So that was the, the uh, motivation behind that, I believe, to kind of hear, have to have people hear those songs. But that was a gigantic album back then. Gigantic.
1: Yeah. It made them go become headliners, the first concert I ever saw. I told you. And uh, put them up to a different uh, stratosphere. They were the it band at the time, you know, because their music wasn't. um, I don't know. I mean, although it was more popish, there was like good musicianship and good uh, pop sensibilities, but it wasn't. It wasn't poisonish. It wasn't laughable to the rock critics. Yeah, mature sound, and they had everything going for them: the look, the sound, the, the. the music, the vocals, the band, the videos, they were on a roll. And uh, for all those years that Coverdale was like, I got to get big in the US, I got to get big in the US, he finally hit it. And then everybody in the band that made the album that he finally made it with got kicked out. So bye-bye, John Sykes, bye-bye, Neil Murray, and Ansley Dunbar. Bye-bye. You're all gone. So now the guys in the video are all of a sudden playing this stuff live, right? And that's what you get.
0: And the sad thing about what you just said is none of the members in the band ever recorded a song together. Like that band that you know in those videos, those three videos, yeah, never did a song together, never recorded a White Snake song together.
1: No, because the next album, you've already got another, right. you know, replacements already else coming in. So Adrian Vandenberg
0: again health problem with his wrist which required surgery which is why Steve Vai was brought in to do a lot of the workload Vivian Campbell decided not to stay in the band Tommy Aldridge and Rudy Sarzo were were stayed in the band and, and were a part of it but Steve Vai came in to record the parts for Adrian Vandenberg because Adrian Vandenberg could not play on the album and it completely changed the tone of the songs in the tone of the album. It's had more instead of that full sound that you heard on the 87 album, it still kind of had that, but it was kind of more progressive and more kind of thin in terms of the guitar tone. And that's kind of just Steve Vai. But the problem I have with the production of this album is I remember uh reading a review and reading interviews.
1: And we're talking about slip of the tongue. Slip of the tongue, yeah. Yeah
0: was the fact that none of those guys were ever in the studio together they would they would send their parts in and then a guy would mix it so if you really listen closely to the 87 album and this album there's a lot of air and a lot of a lot of what i call space in between the instruments that you couldn't avoid getting because of the way it was recorded
1: because you had one guitar guy playing all the song playing all the parts right so you had Sykes and White and you had uh Vi on Slip of the Tongue. Yeah. Versus, look at the difference in the sound. Because they would always, off the earlier albums, even slide it in. Because Galley, or whether it be Slash Moody, would play off each other. And Galley and Sykes would play off of each other. And then Marsden and Moody would have, there was no ego there. Somebody would take a lead. Someone would take a solo. They would switch it up. And there's always that, you know. I know what I can do. You know what you can do. Let's help each other out and make the song work. When you get one guy doing it all, there's no second guitar playing. Go, no, no, no. Let me take this. I'll do this. Or it's just one guy's vision. And uh, unfortunately, I think uh now, mind you, who am I to say anything? White Snake sold eight million copies, but I, I think it's not sounding guitar wise as as good as the other previous songs. Uh excuse me, as good as the previous albums.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Vi's a phenomenal guitar player, but it just doesn't work in Whitesnake. And I know some of the singles they released, Now You're Gone, Deeper the Love. Fantastic songs.
1: Deeper right? the Love is a favorite of mine. I yeah. Absolutely love it. It's so sleek. Oh.
0: In Full Free You're loving, again Great track, uh, previous release. That completely was different song. Completely different. But it really, again, here's a band that was that old school blues band. Then, you know, getting a little bit edgier as, as the albums went by. The albums came, you know, in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Then having this great record that redefined their sound, would slide it in. Then having this gigantic monstrosity of an album with 87 which became more of a of a, you know, a sexier style with the arrangements, to this band that all of a sudden was trying to find themselves again because Adrian Vandenberg wasn't going to be on the album. Steve Vai came in. And, you know, since the It In album, you had, well, they had dual guitars for a lot in, in the late 70s, early 80s. And Sykes had that sound where, you know, he could play that stuff. Vike didn't have that that full step fullness in his tone that you needed, I think, in, in Whitesnake. So you know, it, it did very well. It was successful, but there was just something missing. If you really want to up the game on the Zeppelin comparison, just listen to Judgment Day. I mean, it's basically a cashmere ripoff. Yes. Which um yeah. which I was not too happy about.
1: I like but the song though.
0: It's a good song, but it's still kind it's of like,
1: like you know, it Yeah. Din-in. Building like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sailing ships pretty good. I like kittens got claws, but, uh, in fool for your loving it's just look at the videos. Yeah. Look at the two videos. If you look at the, 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 the current video, I shouldn't say current, but like the, uh, newer version of the song, the video, you're going to get like a seizure. It cuts to everybody like super fast. And like every time it goes to one of the musicians, they're doing something like a gimmick. Whether sliding your guitar over your neck, licking your bass, um, you know, putting your guitar on the ground and playing it like the piano. Like everything is so sleek versus the original version of two guys just jamming up and singing chorus with the guitars and really playing passionate. Um, It got too slick. Even Tawny started becoming like way over the top, (laughs) Like, like her outfits and stuff. Um, started getting over the top, but uh, you know, David's uh started getting shoulder pads like a football player, right? And mm-hmm. he had those suits, and it just became too hair metal, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, no, absolutely, it, it kind of became what they were chasing. They were chasing U.S. success, they finally achieved it, and now they got sucked into being very image conscious, which of course they were with the videos in 87, but even more so with slip of the tongue. And then after this album, after the tour ended in 1991, Coverdale decided to take a break from the music business and, and uh, broke the band up.
1: Yeah. And don't don't forget though. The other part too, is like they brought in Mike Klink from GNR fame Mm -hmm. to produce this. And I think bringing in different people, different sounds, whereas you didn't hear us talking about any complaints about the albums when you had the same band members and you had Martin Birch producing this band. Like I know what to get out of this band and he could do the old style and he still had a hit with, you know, slide it in and bring it to the more modern.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think if they stuck with him, I think they would have been better off, but that's just me. And you're right. Um They didn't really do anything. They put out a greatest hits in 94. But from 89 to 97.
0: and Coverdale decided to move forward with the project with Jimmy Page, which is a phenomenal album, a great, great album. I love that album we did with with Jimmy Page. And there is rumors that they recorded another album that's never seen the light of day that I know David and Jimmy have been talking about re-releasing it. It got shelved because in the late 90s, um, Page and Plant decided to tour together and you know you can't have a Coverdale Page come out when he's on tour oh, no. no 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 you can't do that and a little tidbit I know the first run they did a Plant solo song and they did a Coverdale Page song which I believe was Shake My Tree which I can't imagine Plant singing shake my tree from the Coverdale page album every night in, in arenas across the country. But that's kind of what happened. Then uh, Coverdale does resurface in 1997. They call it a white snake album, but he was kind of forced to do this by the production company or by management, whoever, you know, the record label to name it as a white snake album. But this really is a Coverdale studio album, a solo album. And it's not, it's not, bad it's 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 definitely Coverdale um but
1: it's got Vandenberg on it it's, it's got, got Adrian stuff.
0: Vandenberg it's also got Denny Carmassi, who I believe was in Heart for a while and I also think he was in oh I can't remember the name of the band with John Waite and Jonathan Kane. the babies I think he was in the babies and I think also too um Joe Hoekstra, I think, plays on this album. He does. Wasn't
1: he in Montrose and Sammy Hagar? Yes, he was
0: in Montrose. You're right. You're right.
1: And he played with Randy Meisner, too. Right. a I'm, I'm Big Eagles. And that means he played with, like, Kim Carr and Stevie Nicks and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Derek Sherinian also is featured on this album. Oh, yeah, Derek. So it's kind of like a forgotten album. Um, he also releases another one, Into the Light. Uh, later on, I think in what was it, 99, I think he released that. Um, but he's, you know, releasing his solo stuff,
1: uh, you know, White Snake. Just, uh, just to put something together, just because the whole Zeppelin stuff, Frank, Tony Franklin's on that album.
0: On the Into the Light? Yeah. 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 But that's a
1: solo album. Let's be honest.
0: Right. That's, but this is what kind of he was doing, you know, in between breaks with, uh, with Whitesnake. And uh, after the turn of the decade, you know, he gets the itch to put some more music out
1: under the White Snake moniker. Uh, yeah, he so- started doing a lot of what do you call it? Live albums. Yeah. Started coming on, compilations started coming out. Right, right, right,
0: right. So f- Good to Be Bad, which features uh, Doug Aldrich, as does Forevermore. This is kind of late in the game for. White Snake, great albums, uh, fantastic. uh, Good to be Bad is a great White Snake album. And if you like the tone of Doug Aldrich, which has a lot of similarities with John Sykes, um, I think you'll enjoy it. Red Beach also plays on this,
1: too, as well. Yeah, so they go back to that dual attack that they've been known for. So you got Red Beach and Doug Aldrich, the two guitar guys, Mm -hmm. and that's the White Snake I want to see. Yeah. Two guitar guys playing off each other rather than one guy doing all the work on the album.
0: And that continues throughout the last few moments or the last few albums for the band. Joel Hoekstra takes over for Joel, or uh, for, for, Doug for Doug Aldrich. Red Beach continues to play. There's a lot of changing parts. Their last album they just did, Flesh and Blood, was released in 2019, I believe, on Frontier Records. They also released a Purple album, which features... White Snake covering the songs that David Coverdale yeah. sang in, in Deep Purple. Um, Joe Holstra is—I think—that was his first album that he did. Tommy Aldrich came back in the drums. But here we are, uh, current day. You know, White Snake just canceled the tour with the Scorpions, which also featured an opening act, Thunder Mother from Sweden. Uh, but this is the band. This is their legacy, and it is a underappreciated. I think I don't feel. People realize the importance of this band, where this band came from, the music they made, how big they were in the late 80s. Um, I just hope, like we said at the beginning of this conversation, Coverdale is able to come back and go out the way he wants to go out.
1: Yeah, I, I, it would it would be awesome to be able to catch him one more time. I think they were going to play up here at Hampton Ball Ballroom in New Hampshire. Uh I, I've seen them a couple times. David Coverdale is to me one of my favorite guys that I grew up in music from my era, you know, that I got to see performed and had a career during this time. So, you know, for me, uh Coverdale coming back with Whitesnake going out on his own terms would be would be really special.
0: I hope that happens. Yeah, I hope it does because I think with the longevity of his career, I think he deserves that. And uh, hopefully, he imp- his health improves. He's able to get back out there, maybe in some limited capacity. He's able to do a quick run of the states and the UK. But hopefully, he's able to come back and and come out the way or go out the way that uh, he always envisioned.
1: Do you know what I like? White Snake and Coverdale throughout time has been getting a lot more respect over the last few years of his life. Yeah. You know, him getting inducted with deep purple. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, you can say with a lot of people that complain about the rock and roll hall of fame, how certain members don't get in. They've been in for a lot longer than David Coverdale's in deep purple, but to put him in with deep purple, only doing three albums, that's a show of respect. Okay. And then it, just, his personality online, if you're if you're on Twitter, oh, he's great. Probably he's there's great. Probably nobody nobody funny. He is the complete opposite, as my buddy Tom says on Show Outcast, Opposite of how Paul Stanley is on yes. Twitter. Yes, He's got a fantastic sense of humor, fucking cheekish, as they would say over there, right? Funny as hell, and you know, and and he's got exactly what you want to see in somebody that you want to like. He makes himself more likable. He by does the way the way he has his personality is um and i i love that about him he's become more endearing over time and the band white Snake, i mean they were a big part of uh something as simple as being a big part of uh of uh what what was that movie uh old school mm-hmm. and you know here i go again coming back and resurgent that song has lived on for, and you know when the whole hair metal stuff was laughed at and joked and oh get rid of that and, no, and white snake has kind of survived that and continued to thrive and i i like it because anybody that sits and goes oh white snake that's a hair metal band dude you have no idea no what, idea what, no what idea. you're talking yeah. about yeah and they deserve respect and they deserve some people to give that that especially the older stuff a chance and you'll really be happy with what you discover.
0: Absolutely. I mean if you're a fan of Zeppelin, it's the stones, faces, if you love blues, you Deep will purple, like you will like rainbow stuff. You'll love that, that stuff. stuff. Yeah. As we
1: close, um what's your favorite album, favorite song? Tough because I again um I would say how's this? I'll say I like slide it in from the big three of the the MTV era, which is "Slide It In," '87 and uh, and "Slip of the Tongue," "Slide it In" is their best of those three. And I'd probably say, "Come and Get It" just above "Love Hunter."
0: I would say I, I'm with you. I would say "Slide It In" out of the big three. I would I go back and forth between "Slow and Easy" and uh, "Give Me More Time."
1: Oh, that's my favorite. Give me more time.
0: Yeah. Um and then from the early days, I'll go with Saints and Sinners and I like Victim of Love. Really? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say something as cool as Steal Away from the EP. Go listen to that, guys. You're gonna be like, holy shit, listen to that guitar. Are you sh- if you if you're a sucker for slide, oh, it's just so kick ass. And then, um, you know, uh, probably till the day I die, uh, off of or Medicine Man, yeah, something like that. Oh, those are fantastic riffs, fantastic stuff. But, uh, you know, I can't recommend Old White Snake enough
0: to people. Me too. Me too. Zeus, it's been a blast, man. I uh, enjoyed the conversation. I'm glad we did this. I know we were talking about it for a bit, yeah. and uh, glad to finally tie up this conversation. Love this band. Love what they're all about. Love the history. Uh, lots of, uh, lots of scars in this band, lots of you know, lots of, you know, changes, but, um, Coverdale man is a battler, is a lifer and, uh, you know, one of the great performers of our time, one of the great singers of our time. And I, you know, wish him good health, wish that he can come back sometime soon. But that's been our discussion on the legacy of Whitesnake.
1: Jay, thanks for having me. I always have a great time talking with music with you and the Hook Rocks. Uh, I wish you continued success and uh, good health to you and all your listeners, buddy. Thanks, man. Everyone, that's Zeus. One of the
0: uh, the, the good guys in podcasting that I always love talking with. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Thanks.
2: I love the blues. It's tell my story. the life I live. I'm gonna live the life I choose. You gotta understand, I'm walking in the shadow of the blues. All of my